Ladies and gentlemen, you have Chris Thomas, and this is the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture. What's going on, everybody? What's going on? And in case you miss hearing this voice, you're listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture, every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on 98.5 WJYN and UptownRadioFieldly.org. And you're only listening to me. Want to know why? Because this is a pre-record. Unfortunately, as of right now, I had to put the live show on ice for a bit as I, long story short, I got a new job. New job, new hours, have to prioritize uh, my life a little better, but I'm still going to do my damnest to still give you the best sports content in all of Philadelphia, all of Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio, and unfortunately... You can't call the joint discussion on 215-763-9596 because by the time this show airs, I won't be in the studio <laughs> to take any calls. So, you're just going to have to listen to me for at least the next 45 minutes to an hour, getting my Colin Cowherd on, going a little solo dolo. And about two weeks ago when I was on my last Live show before I put the show on ice. We were talking about the Philadelphia 76ers back then. The series was tied 2-2. Two two. Joel Embiid came back after a concussion and an orbital bone fracture to try to even the odds to make this a series. And he did. The Sixers won the first two, the next two games at home against Philadelphia. However, it was all for naught as the Sixers went back to Miami and lost convincingly the next two games. Uh, to the Miami Heat as they lost in six. As of right now, the Celtics and Miami are dealing with a plethora of injuries in route to figuring out who's once again going to be representing the East in the NBA Finals. But I'll get to that in a bit. I'm going to talk about the Sixers. The Sixers lost to the Miami Heat, Heat in Game 6 at Wells Fargo Center. And man, I and the final score was 99 to 90. And watching that game was just rough because Joel Embiid was not shooting the ball well. James Harden was just abruptly just putting the ball in the harm's way multiple times for turnovers. It was just a really ugly game to watch. And I can excuse bad performances hey turnovers happen everything else just the effort and the energy level did not match in terms of what philadelphia sports is supposed to be out we said it before the way to win philadelphia fans is pretty much simple give 100 percent in terms of everything you do uh if it means for diving for loose balls if it means just playing as great effort on the defensive side of the ball if you do that philadelphia fans will rock with you but the fact that the energy level was so low, they were completely unresponsive in trying to save their series to, to take it back to Miami for game for a game seven. And the fact that we saw that live uh, wired mic of Doc Rivers saying like, "Hey, guys, fight like you want it," and it just it seems like a complete dismissal of Doc Rivers, just one ear out the other. It was rough. And honestly, first things first, the only people I'm probably going to omit in regards to game six is Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton. Those are the only guys that play with any sort of energy, any sort of defense, any urgency at all in terms of trying to make this a game. 
at the later stages when the game was essentially decided they were playing full court press they were getting steals they were attacking the basket trying to make this a competitive game to try to get the crowd back into it but you're on, you're asking a lot out of Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey to do so. That should come from the top up. That should come from the guy that sh- should have been the MVP, Joel Embiid. That should have came from a guy who's a top 75 player of all time in James Harden. But the fact that the energy level just overall in those last two games were completely non-existent, it's not just something I just can't place on Doc Rivers. Even though Doc Rivers does have his fault, it's as much as on the players and it's as much as on Daryl Morley. I know everybody loves Daryl Morley. Everybody loves giving this guy credit for, you know, wheeling and dealing and doing all these things. But we need to have a conversation about Daryl Morley. Everybody talks about, oh, but he's the only guy that constructed a team that was this close to beating the Warriors. Yeah, but they still lost. Yeah, the only and over the past two years, the moves that he made, especially before during the All-Star break, especially during the free agent waiver period, was George Hill, who contributed to little to nothing, you know, post-All-Star break, and the James Harden trade, which kind of zapped whatever little depth that we had left. And now you're in an off-season in which you're going to be ridiculously over the cap. You don't have any sort of flexibility or capital to really improve this team unless you attach young players and attach some picks to it to give you some sort of coherent of quality players alongside with Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Tyrese Maxey. I accepted the fact that James Harden is going to do that. Personally, for me, if I had it my way, I would convince James Harden to walk or try to find a trade partner for James Harden. But we all know Daryl Morley is James Harden's boy. He's going to ride and die for him, and he's going to make every single uh, combination for him like he did during this trade. Here's the problem with the 76ers, and I've explained this at nauseam with my co-host, uh, with all my co-hosts. The Sixers are top-heavy. Yes, it's nice when you have all three of your starters getting 25, 30 points a game each, but... That's pretty much it. Everything about this team is flawed. You either have to be extremely athletic in terms of getting try to get back a transition, and if you're not athletic, at least be a high IQ specialist in terms of what you do. The problem is, is that they got the there's no balance. This is a very slow, unathletic team. They can't run in transition. Uh, when you look at Joel Embiid, listen, regardless, I love Joel Embiid, but the guy can't stay healthy during the postseason at all. Uh, listen, the first time they faced, you know, the Miami Heat, uh, he had to play with the mask. Then in 2019, there's the stuff about him being out of shape and, you know, having like stomach problems and all that stuff. Um, 2020, Ben Simmons gets hurt and he still averages like 30 and 13, but they get swept. 2021, last year against the Atlanta Hawks, played with a torn meniscus. This season, torn torn ligaments in his thumb on his shooting on his shooting hand, and played once again with an orbital fracture. I don't know what it is, but the fact that he can't stay healthy continues to bother me, and that is to me the biggest glaring red flag. Because when you look at Joel Embiid and you look at the impact. 
that he has on both sides of the ball. Yes, they're MVP level. They're top five player in the league levels. These all-time generational talent level great. But the fact that this guy has the unavailability to be healthy when his team needs him the most is the biggest red flag in regards to going forward. So you can't position yourself to be a top-heavy team with Joel Embiid's injury history. No, you got to spread yourself out. You got to give yourself a little bit of flexibility in the cap, flexibility in draft picks in terms of building your team out. Because, and this kind of equates to, you know, Doc Rivers and, you know, Daryl Morley doing Doc Rivers a solid and getting DeAndre Jordan. Here's the thing. If after the All-Star break, after Andre Drummond was gone, if those minutes go to Paul Reed instead of DeAndre Jordan or Paul Millsap, maybe Paul Reed will be a little more in-depth, in acquitted, antiquated, uh, I'm struggling to find a word here, you guys will figure, it, you guys understand where I'm coming from, but that, he wouldn't be fouling out at the rate that he did in the postseason, he would understand more so in terms of defensive, uh, to get his spots on defensively, to contest shots without fouling, he would be a lot more comfortable, you know, running in transition when Tyrese Maxey and James Harden is running the break. If you did that with him or Charles Bassey, those guys should have been your options because in not in both the Toronto and the Miami series, you needed young legs. And the fact that you position yourself to prioritize DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap minutes over learning over the, the learning curve of, of a Bassey and a Paul Reed, that killed us. And it just goes to show you that how poorly how poorly the Sixers in terms of the developing and scouting department is. You know, when the process started, here's the thing about, and it's going back to Sam Hinkie. Everybody loves Sam Hinkie. I had no issue with the process. I had zero issue with it. I completely understand where they're coming from. If you're not a destination free agent spot, Philadelphia's not a destination free agent spot. We don't get the LeBron Jameses. We don't get the Kevin Durants. We get the Al Horfords and the Elton Brands. That's that's just the that's just the reality of the situation. We get border we get all star borderline all stars who are probably just being a year or two away to be put out the pasture. That's literally our free agent destination in terms of not just in regards to Sixers, probably just. Philadelphia period. When was the last time we actually got an A-plus free agent besides Bryce Harper? You'll struggle to find one. Terrell Owens was the trade, by the way. Malcolm Jenkins, everybody didn't like Malcolm Jenkins back then, and nobody really thought, you know, how well Malcolm Jenkins would fare. Alshon Jeffrey was a solid signing, but he wasn't an all-star like a, like a Devontae Adams or, or like in any other top receiver. So, if you're not a free agent destination, then take advantage of the system that in terms of just acquire and gain draft capital, draft picks, uh, best player available, and then you funnel out your team here and there. I didn't have a problem with that. 
the tickets were six dollars so i mean the reps called me they told me exactly what it is granted i still spend like six six dollars for 100 level seats because i knew the product was going to be bad but hey it was a really good night out for uh ten dollars off my dang and buck for a plus taxes to uh watch some really bad basketball and to try to guess about you know who who has a future here my issue in regards to that is two things one best player available is fine but when you continue to overlap in one position and eventually all all those people have to get on the court you don't you draft the nerdless too well you draft little before you draft joel Embiid. all three of those guys are centers all three of those guys none of those none of these guys can play power forward so if all three of them are eventually healthy how are you going to segregate how are you going to disperse those minutes between those three centers you can't so that was my issue so the philosophy was fine just the execution was just overall bad and more importantly it just got absolutely worse after Sam Hinkie got was literally forced out by the NBA um, I had no problem with the New Orleans well signing he's a low end starter high end backup and honestly if the Knicks bought him out, if the Knicks buy him out or release him I would take New Orleans Noel back in a heartbeat to back up Joel Embiid. I didn't have a problem with Embiid because as soon as he got on the court, he showed that he was the best player in the draft. But let me just remind you that we're Joel Embiid draft injury away from having Andrew Wiggins. And granted, Andrew Wiggins is playing up to his potential right now. As you saw last, as you saw last night against that game in Dallas, 27-11, put Luka Dodgers on the poster, but I don't think he develops the way he does under Steve Kerr like he would in Philadelphia. But just a friendly reminder that if Joel Embiid does not get hurt, Andrew Wiggins will be a sixer. And But here's the problems that I did have. Um, I did not like the Jaleel Okafor pick. I rather would have gotten Chris Aprazingis, who has the ability to at least play power forward or trade it back to go get Devin Booker. I had issues in regards to Ben Simmons because I just can't find myself to draft a guy who was a power forward who then wanted to play point guard who didn't want to shoot personally for me I was in that small, small minority and wanted Brandon Ingram and everybody laughed at me and look at where we at now um, 2017 you draft Jason Tatum I promise you half these issues with the Philadelphia 76ers right now don't happen but we traded, but the fact that we traded up to get the number one pick and drafted Markel Fultz, and the kid couldn't get on the floor, and everything about him in regards to not being able to play and his confidence getting shot, that kind of sunk. That literally put us behind the eight ball and way, way more behind schedule. You know, we make the Jimmy Butler trade, you know, Kawhi shot happens, Jimmy Butler leaves, and we all know how that goes. 20, the year after that. We got Mikel Bridges, who is the ideal three and D uh, guy, who the ideal three and D NBA player. He, you already know what you're gonna get from him. He's a three-year starter coming out of Villanova. Jay Wright produces NBA players. You, you know they're gonna give you high effort on defense, and you're gonna gonna learn how to shoot the ball. That's literally anybody that's come from Villanova. That's that's Randy Foy. That's Dante Divincenzo. Um, Eric Pascal is an actual solid, you know, back uh, back up front court player. So 
Jay Wright, you know, now he's retired. The guy um, develops NBA players. And you know what? We traded him while he was on the podium for a guy that's not even in the league anymore. And looking at this team right now, outside of really Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, and I'm, yes, and I'm including James Harden, I really have no interest in seeing any of these guys on the team anymore. Um, James Harden, the guy can't blow by any blow past anybody no more. Those ham, that hamstring is gone. The explosiveness is gone. And if he was efficient and the athleticism began to dip, I can accept that. But the fact that he's inefficient turns the ball over at a ridiculous rate for a guy who has top three court vision in the NBA personally. And just the problems that James Harden has outweighs the good that he does. Tobias Harris, great guy. Love him. But no amount of you being a great guy is worth you 35 to $40 million. He has to go. Um, get He has to go get traded for pennies on the dollar to at least alleviate, you know, some of that cap burden so you can get some depth pieces to try to fix this roster. I like Tyrese Maxey. Um, um, I like Tyrese Maxey. He shouldn't be in any sort of trade talks in anywhere, especially for the players that I'm hearing. I'm good on not on. I'm not touching Tyrese Maxey at all, especially when he was one of the only few guys in a winner go home game that's going to give you maximum maximum effort. And everybody's talking about, oh well, you, you guys are way into love. I'm like, so you want to treat a guy that doubled his point total? The guy didn't know that he was going to start because Ben Simmons was, took his ball and went home. He never, but you know what? You know what he did? He went in, took all the information that Doc Rivers is saying to sell, passed on to him. He doubled his point production. The guy is one of the best transition players in the league, and you saw him. He gives you maximum effort. He doesn't quit on the play, and more importantly, he probably had the biggest jump. His biggest jump was probably his three-point shooting. He ended up being third in the NBA three-point percentage of 40%. And if you're going to continue with that, if Harden is not going to be the Houston James Harden anymore, and you're going to regulate Tyrese Maxey to a second option, then those 17, 18 points a game, it probably might go to 22, 23. And then you got like another Darius Garland on your team, who Darius Garland really underrated, was an all-star this year. And not to mention, you don't have to pay Tyrese Maxey for another two to three years. That's flexibility I'm talking about. I'm not going to trade this guy for a Bradley Beal. And please get off that Bradley Beal train. Um, the guy is coming off a serious. The guy, even though he's 28, four years younger than James Harden, the guy's coming off from season-ending wrist surgery. And more importantly, when you look at his splits, his three-point percentage has gone down every single year over the last three years. Oh, but he dropped 30. But he dropped 30 points a game, and the guy was just close to being a Yeah, that was on a losing basketball team. He's a volume shooter. And you're going to put him in an offense in which you already have two other volume shooters in Harden and Embiid. And not to mention, you're going to take shots away from Maxi. No. Stop trying to load up on stars for the sake, for in absence of your bench. This is the problem that I have with the Sixers. Over the past few years, they try to build their team like somebody's trying to do a get-rich-quick scheme. 
you want the money fast you and you don't care how you got to do it but you'll sacrifice everything you can immediately in the future in order for you to get the results but here's the thing you're the results that you've been getting in terms of these get rich quick schemes aren't getting you past the second round can you imagine just trading getting tobias harris and just getting a few bench parts uh bench pieces to improve your bench which is one of the worst in the nba you literally went through 12 playoff games and nearly your entire bench was unplayable but you want to trade with little flexibility that we have for bradley bill i'm fine on that bradley bill doesn't move the needle for the sixers to the point where you you should trade for him no but for the sixers this is probably tobias harris's last season here get yourself a you're gonna need at least to bring in four guys who are going to be gritty who are going to be athletic and do all the dirty work and what i mean by that i mean the four guys two of them are probably going to have to be starters and two of them are going to have to come off your bench you get yourself you get yourself a pj tucker you get yourself a pat beverly you get yourself one of the morris brothers i don't care if them i don't care the perception of them being soft or fake tough guys no you get your guy you get guys who are willing to do the dirty work Listen, one of my favorite players in the league growing up when I was 11 and 12 years old, especially when he was a sixer, was Reggie Evans. Reggie Evans couldn't score a lick if it was not a putback. And when I mean putback, I mean a wide open putback in which everybody else is like five feet away from him. <laughs> he couldn't shoot a free throw at all. But you want to know what he did? He was a gnat. He will be in your face. He will contest every single shot. He would run the floor. And the guy will get you 10 to 15 rebounds. That's what you need. You need, if you're going to have a specialist, that's the kind of specialist you need. Guys who are going to do the dirty work. And that's what Daryl Morley needs to understand. And that's what he needs to realize. You need dirty work, guys. You're going to have all the offensive uh, firepower in the world. But... The two things need to happen. You need to get yourself some dirty work, guys. And more importantly, you need to construct a team that alleviates a lot of pressure, especially for Joel Embiid on the offensive side of the ball. Because every single... And it's like, I watch a, a lot of Joel Embiid basketball this year. It goes in, but he takes a lot of bad shots. Can you imagine just... You know, you guys do a lot more pick and roll with... With Maxi and Harden being the ball handler, and Joel Embiid just gets it off the, just gets it on the roll, and then just rolls to the basket. Can you imagine just him, Joel Embiid, doing pick and pops? Because to me, Joel Embiid is talented. He can get a shot anywhere off the floor, but the way you need to run Joel Embiid to preserve him, to me personally, I would. Offensive-wise, I would run him like the Suns did Amari Sadamar. I would just... He can get his own... Amari can get his own shot. But 
I want guys to set up and make it easier for Joel Embiid to get baskets. It takes a lot of energy. So that way Joel Embiid has a lot more energy and a lot more stamina to focus. To me, what's the biggest difference for him is then on the defensive side of the ball. The Sixers have a lot of work to do this offseason. And we're going to figure out if Daryl Morley has what it takes to finally get this team over the hump. Ooh. Man, I can... Frustrations of a Sixer fan. <laughs> oh, man. But... But as I close the chapter to the Philadelphia 76ers, we're gonna, I'm going to now talk about the conference finals. And... I love before I say man, before, I'm just gonna give these guys a compliment for I love the way that all four of these teams are constructed. You draft your you use your draft capital to assimilate you know a good core with the Mavericks, it's Luka Doncic, and then you surround him with a bunch of shooters. Jason Kidd is like, all right, Luka, you can just focus on everything on the offensive end, set up everybody, and I'll get everybody else, you know in their spots and tell them what to do defensively. That works. That gets you to a conference finals. That has you beat the number one um, seeded Phoenix Suns. Run them out the building in game seven by 40 points. The Suns are... Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. The Suns are going to be in for some dark times uh, these next few years. But I like the way Boston shaped up. It's painful of me to admit it. You draft Marcus Smart. You draft Jalen Brown. You draft Jason Tatum. Grant Williams, Robert Williams, uh, Pritchard. You then do some solid free agent moving and trading. You get yourself Derek White. You get yourself Al Horford. Um, you get a Mekhi Yudoka who tried to implement a system at first, but then they realized the strength of this team was Brad Stevens' system, and because Brad Stevens is now back up on top, all everything that's what they know. So everything about how, did, how Boston operates makes sense to them. So, since January 1st and on, they've been the number one offense and the number one defense, probably the best team in all in basketball. They they sweep the Nets. They beat uh, the Bucks in seven, the reigning champs. And now they're in a dogfight against the Miami Heat. And then you have the Miami Heat. You draft Tyler Hero. You draft Bam on Abadu. You develop them. You have a culture-wise, he culture's for real. So, Giannis Haslam is a 15-man off the bench, but his voice being in that locker room helps out a lot of young players. That It makes guys like Gabe Vincent a lot better. Uh, Victor Oladipo, who is a former All-Star for the Indiana Pacers, is on a league minimum. He adopted he adopted the way uh, he basketball is being played. And even with the Jimmy Butler injury, Oladipo was able to step up, and they were still able to hold off a win in Boston without Jimmy Butler. That's for real. <laughs> and, but, then you got a guy like Duncan Robden. As much credit as I want to give him, you still got a guy who's making $18 million that's just sitting on your bench because it's unplayable. But, Jimmy Butler was right. The guy is two, the Heat are two games away from going back to an NBA Finals in which everybody screamed at the top saying they got lucky because they were in the bubble. Jimmy Butler's about to go to a second NBA Finals. 
He was right about Brett Brown. Brett Brown got fired a year later. He was right about Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons quit on Philadelphia, and he didn't play a single game for Brooklyn. And now Brooklyn's looking potentially to get rid of him as well. Tobias Harris over me? Yeah, Tobias Harris is probably going to be gone also. And it's funny. It's a whole gradual thing. Everything that the Sixers organization in a way, kind of prioritized in terms of over Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler saw the writing on the wall. All those things are now going to the wayside. But, and last, but certainly not least, and this is why I saved him for last, then you got the Golden State Warriors, who, in my honest opinion, they're the ideal model of team construction. Everybody thought this team was dead was was left for dead back in 2019 after the NBA Finals. Kevin Durant left. Tore, Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. He left. Clay Thompson torn ACL. Left. Eventually, Steph Curry got hurt. Decided to take the rest of the season off with a hand injury. Draymond can't carry a team, and it was just a bunch of baby warriors. Uh, Jordan Poole, Kevon Looney. Uh, they eventually drafted Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman, and. Yeah, there was a lot of bad Warriors basketball for about a year and a half. But here's what happened. And this is where, in my honest opinion, Steve Kerr needs to get a lot more credit than what he's normally, than what he's getting. Everybody's talking about, oh, well, he took over a team that Mark Jackson built. Mark Jackson built a damn thing in Golden State. You know what Mark Jackson tried to do? He tried to make Steph Curry play a point guard. You know what Steve Kerr did? He was like, hey, oh, wait, this guy named Draymond Green is off our bench, and he can play point forward, and he can orchestrate and be our defensive anchor. We don't need David Lee in the lineup. Hey, Draymond, get in our lineup. You can be the point guard. Steph, you can play off ball and just worry about scoring. The Splash Brothers didn't really take off until Steve Kerr took over. He implemented Draymond Green to the lineup. He told Iguodala to come off the bench. This is a guy that is just a winner everywhere that he's going. To me, he's the modern-day Jerry West. And I don't mean like this guy was an all-time great player, this guy was a role player, but here's the thing. He was on those 90s Chicago Bulls teams. He was on those 90 Chicago Bulls teams, surrounded by Jordan, surrounded by Pippen, surrounded by Phil Jackson. So he got a chance to sponge and learn from not only being in that triangle offense with Jordan and Pippen, you know, being that three-point specialist, he learned a lot from Phil Jackson. He, then after that point, he went to San Antonio and learned from Greg Popovich. After that, he took a front office position, and he had a lot to do with that construction of that seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns team. And then he kind of made that model into the broken model that it is in Golden State. Not broken in a bad way. I'm talking about, like, it's just unfair to watch basketball because this team and the ball movement is so excellent. They represent everything that's right with basketball. Excellent ball movement. Um, Good shot. Good shot selection. And not to mention, as much as everybody likes to talk about the Splash Brothers and the Warriors' high-octane offense, they get it down in the defensive end. And this is the scary thing about the Warriors. Yes, Steph's getting older, but he's still effective. Clay is getting older, and but he's still somewhat effective. Draymond's getting older, 
and you know injuries were getting away on him, but he's still effective. But you got a guy like James Wiseman who's still only 21, 22 years old. Jordan Poole is is now becoming the third is now the third splash brother. The Warriors now have three guys who are able to create their own shots, and Jordan Poole falls in that in between of which he doesn't. He doesn't do enough in terms of offensive output to replace what Kevin Durant used to do, but he does more than enough to offset and does more than what Harrison Barnes used to be in that position. You got Jonathan Kaminga, you got Moses Modi. They have a lot of young talent there with their veteran big three. And when those guys are starting to get a little bit older and then a little bit pushed out, those guys right there, Kaminga, Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, Kevon Looney's still 26. He's still a valuable role player who understands the curve system, uh, plays good solid defense, good right rebounder, and knows how to set a damn good pick. And Andrew Wiggins has now become the glue of that team. Uh, He's a guy that can get you 15 to 20 points on his own. He plays really good defense, NBA all-level caliber defense, and the guy... That had his first all-star bid this year as an all-star starter. This is a team and an organization that is going to be really good for a really long time because the way they draft, because the way they develop, because the way they know how to scout talent, because they know how to put these guys in position to cater to their strengths. This team is going to be good for a very long time. And it took about a two-year hiatus when everybody said they were left for dead for them to get back in this position. And I don't just looking at the lay of the land right now with these final four teams, the title is now the Warriors to lose. Especially with the way the Eastern Conference is going right now with all these injuries, especially towards Miami. I, I, ooh, man, Tyler Harrell's not playing in game four. You got Jimmy Butler playing with an inflamed knee. Kyle Lowry's battling injuries. Every, half this Heat team is playing with injuries right now. But this is a the Heat are a gritty team. They, when you're at that point of winning an NBA Finals and you're that close to tasting being a champion, that doesn't go away. You want to close the deal and you want to solidify yourself for being a champion. And I feel like injuries be damned. The Warriors are going to, I'm picking, it's going to be Warriors in Miami, in my opinion. But I got the Warriors winning, but Miami's not going to go out without a fight. Jimmy Butler is not going to go down without a fight. Kyle Lowry's an NBA champion. He's not going to go down without a fight. But I like the way all four of these teams are constructed. And part of me wishes that the Sixers would just take notes and really watch how, in part, the way that these teams are constructed and how you can implement that to make yourself a better team instead of just constantly star hunting. You don't need stars. You need a bench, period, point blank. Every single one of these teams have depth. Every single one of these teams really only has one star or one superstar. But you know what they do? They surround them with guys that accommodate to their skill sets, that they play hard, they give you maximum effort, 
and they just fit together. You don't need a, a Bradley Beal. You don't need a Donovan Mitchell, especially if you're intending on for keeping James Harden. If you're trying to get one of those guys and Harden to the deal, then fine, I get that. But I would rather use use whatever resources that you have left to fix yourself so you can at least go nine deep and Joel Embiid can sit on the bench for five to ten, five to six minutes without, you know, this team being on the dip, being on the, being on the opposite end of a 12-2 run and you have to put Joel Embiid back in to accommodate, you know, for that run you just gave up. It's tiresome. Anyway, once again, you're listening to 98.5 WJYN, the running back sports show, sports for the culture. Fortunately... This is a pre-record, and this is probably the way it is going to be going forward till further noticed. However, I love sports. I love sports. I wish my teams were better, but I just love it. But you want to know what I do love? How about the Philadelphia Eagles? What an offseason. What a bounce back that Howie Roseman had. All the criticism, all the blame, all the fire Howie, you know, propaganda that he had. Listen, I'm not going to admit myself from that. I was part of that. But the way Howie was able to maneuver, draft, pick up free agents, the way he was able to do all of that, in the way that this team constructed, it's not a Super Bowl with bus team. Let's just stop that right there. It's still the Rams versus the field for me. But this is a team that it won nine games last year with the roster that they had. Let me remind you, they won not they were they started the season off two and five. Nick Sirianni then made this team a lot more run oriented. They went seven and two in their last nine. They won nine games and then they went to Tampa Bay and then they got stomped out. But I'm really con- I like what I saw from Nick Sirianni last year. You saw the ability to adjust, and you saw really what he wanted to do offensively. We just didn't have the the upper caliber quarterback play or the receivers to really execute what he wants to do. But you you got yourself a fully healthy offensive line when it's fully healthy. It's probably one of the best offensive line units in football you're bringing back all the components which means you the number one running attack in all football which includes Jalen Hurts he's an extension of the running game and people can't omit that even though the fact that they don't like him at quarterback you can't admit the you can't dismiss the fact that what he does to help with the running game your wide receivers you got a legitimate number one in Adrian Brown which means Devontae Smith is going to be better because now he's not because now he's going to be dealing with uh, wide receiver twos. You got Quez Watkins in the slot who got open a lot last year. Dallas got Dallas got at a tight end. Those are your top four wide receivers for Jalen Hurts. So, and not to mention the defensive side of the ball. They were second to last in getting at their quarterback. Atlanta was the only team that was worse. You got yourself a Son Reddick. You're getting Brandon. You're getting Brandon Graham back. 
Josh Sweat, please stay healthy because if you stay as healthy, you're probably the best pass rusher we have on the team. Bring back Derek Barnett on a team-friendly deal, and you get yourself a Jordan Davis. Initially, I didn't like that pick at all. I was more so on the Kyle Hamilton side, especially if we were going to trade trade up ahead of Baltimore to go get him. But like Jeff, like my boy Jeff from the Sports Narrative says, if you guys are running a defensive line rotation in which Jordan Davis is only playing 50% of the snaps, along with Brandon Graham, and then you go Hargrave and Mill Williams with Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, um, Josh Wett, Derek Barnett, the drop-off in terms of production is not going to leave the field as long as all those guys stay healthy because you have depth, and not just depth, quality depth. You bring in Kazir White, in which everybody who I talked to on Chargers Twitter was upset the fact that Kazir White left uh, the Chargers. And the biggest issue that you have with your secondary, particularly the number two spot, in James Bra- and you got yourself James Bradbury to play alongside Darius Lay, and you still got Abonte Maddox playing the slot. Safeties are still a massive, glaring hole, but when you got three of, when you probably got one, arguably a top three trio in terms of cornerbacks, I'll deal with the lack of safety issue. Hopefully, Marcus Epps can take that next step. But I think everybody owes Howie Roseman an apology, myself included. He won the Super Bowl back in 2017. Everybody growing up after the entire Andy Reid ordeal in terms of five NFC title games, only one time to the Super Bowl, we thought that at that point, it was never going to happen for us. He constructed a team and made that signing to get Nick Foles, and heck, that ended up being the reason why we won the Super Bowl. 2018, we made it to the playoffs. 2019, the team was held by duct tape, still made the playoffs. 2020, you know, an anomaly, a bad year. 2021, we were still an average football team, still made the playoffs. So four out of the last five years, we've made the postseason. And during that span, we have won four playoff games. And then we make the playoffs again, that'll be five in the last six years, which I believe only will be one of three teams in the entire NFL during that span has been able to do that. Like I said, it the way that this team is constructed, it all comes down to Jalen Hurts. I don't have any sort of confidence or question marks in regards to Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni proved himself to me last year. He... What he wanted to do with the offense just wasn't working, so he adjusted his game plan to accommodate for Jalen Hurts' skill set. And you saw it. They became the number one rushing attack, uh, RPO-style offense, and they went on a run. If Jalen Hurts can work on his anticipation and just learn how to work to throw in between the numbers, that's your franchise quarterback. And it makes it a lot easier for you to construct this team <laughs> going forward if Jalen Hurts is your franchise guy it makes it a lot easier but he, the kid has fire he wants to get better and more importantly AJ Brown does not come here if it wasn't for Jalen Hurts 
That's his guy. And you could tell everybody in that locker room would run through a brick wall for Jalen Hurts. That is a rare trait that few young quarterbacks rarely have coming into the league. I've never seen a guy galvanize and have an entire locker room hack a city behind him like this. Granted, if you still have your issues in regards to him being a quarterback, I per- I understand why. But this is a guy that you want to root for. This is a guy that you want in your city for the next ten years if he could if he if if he plays the part. He's easy to root for. Amazing kid. And I can't wait for Philadelphia Eagles football. And I'm definitely going to try to make some games this year. <laughs> um, job I got, made a little more money than what I'm normally expected. So not only hopefully I'll be able to go to some games at the link, hopefully I'll also get to travel and go to the games as well. But, man, I can't wait for this season. This has the potential to be one of the best NFL seasons in recent memory. And especially with the way that these playoffs or NBA playoffs are going, don't ever tell me that the NBA playoffs are better than the NFL playoffs. Because what you saw last year, especially during those divisional games, and even the conference title games between the Rams and the 49 uh, the Rams and the 49ers and the Bengals and Chiefs. Cla- thrillers, classics. What you're seeing right now to me is just it's it's just a game of blowouts. But yes, NFL is king, and it will be right back on the throne once September rolls around. And I can't wait, especially the AFC. That's going to be a bloodbath. I can't wait to watch those Chargers, just AFC West games in general. And in case nobody follows me on, in case nobody follows me on social media, I already picked. I already have my AFC title game already uh, written down, written in stone. Justin Herbert and the Chargers versus Josh Allen and the Bills. That's for me. NFC-wise, I got the Rams versus the field. I feel like the Rams are still the best team in football. Uh, the best team in the NFC. In fo- in the NFC. They've shown that they're capable of beating Tom Brady and nobody's afraid of Brady. I like Green. I like Aaron Rodgers, but with no Devontae Adams, I still have my reserves in terms of picking them. Last year was the best year for Aaron Rodgers to go to a Super Bowl. And you couldn't muster up a touchdown. An offensive touchdown. You couldn't get 14 points on the board. So, and I feel like the Eagles are about a year or so away. But I'm really excited for this NFL season. I really am. And once again, you're listening to 98.5 WJYN, the Running Back Sports Show. Sports for the Culture, you got Chris Thomas. And unfortunately, this is a pre-record. And I'm just going to do my last topic, and then I'm just going to get up out of here. So, Nick Saban made some really interesting remarks in regards to um, his former, uh, uh, former co-worker, former guidance coaches at Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M and apparently the Deion Sanders up at Jackson State about the way that they that Texas A&M was recruiting guys and the way that Jackson State was able to get the number one prospect in all of college football and in case you didn't hear I'm going to play this clip for you 
made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. So it's, uh, it's tough. It's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous. We build him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You coach with people like Bobby Bowden and learn how to do things. You coach with other people and learn how not to do things. There's a reason people don't go, I ain't went back and worked for them with opportunities. Coach back behind don't the lines. Don't associated with it. I haven't talked to Coach Safety. I'm pretty sure he's tried to call. But they, we need to talk publicly, not privately. What you said was public. That is not a private conversation. Let's talk publicly and let everybody get the conversation. And I agree with Dion. At that point, that's not something you... After the acquisitions that you made, that's not something you can just pull me side to side and we can just handle it out. No, this is something that you brought it out to the public saying that I am buying players, you know, and the fact that people just want to come to Alabama because it's Alabama. Listen, let's be real. The NLIs just made it publicly legal for you to pay these players to get money off their own likeness, which they should have done years ago. Like, it was a le- it's illegal for me if I'm a if I'm a top college recruit, uh, high school recruit going into college. You're telling me that I can't sign autographs off my game jersey for a hundred dollars, so I'll be able to put gas in my car, put some food on my table because those because those meal halls in college don't stay up, aren't up for 24 hours. They're not. So for years you have an issue with me making money off of my own likeness. And now you want to public, and now for Jimbo, you want to publicly shame somebody else because, like, oh, well, they pay for all their players. Let's be real. Throughout the entire history of college football, everybody's paid. Uh, oh, well, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give your mom, you know, this nice little refrigerator. I'm going to give your mom, you know, this nice little car so they be able to travel to games. You know what? I'm going to give your mom and all that a little bit, this nice housing off campus. You know, about like a 15-minute drive, you know, from the stadium, so they'd be able to come to your games. They had to do, listen, all that stuff had to be under the hush-hush. You realize how much money right now a Reggie Bush back then would have made, like in 2003, 2005, with the NLIs? Can you imagine how much money Vince Young would have probably made off his own like this? Uh, Johnny Manziel, a Tim Tebow. There is nothing wrong with enticing a player to come play for you and to financially compensate them for their time, to give them the NLI, to help them with their own brand. Saban, to me, is only mad because before the NLIs, you had to, you had a, you had a stranglehold on them. You had a stranglehold on them because. Without the NLIs, you would have to go to Alabama to then prove yourself on the best team to improve your draft stock. Nowadays, everything, because everything's about money. When money's involved, billion dollar deals for college football, whereas the ESPN and the ABC making all the bull money. Once all that comes into play, money changes the game. You're just mad because 
Alabama's not going to be the end-all, be-all now. You're mad because now teams like Texas A&M and teams like LSU uh, and a bunch of other schools aren't just going to be enticed to the fact that, oh, just playing for Alabama. And let's be real. You guys, can we pre- stop pretending like Nick Saban doesn't pay for players? Tua Tagovailoa and his family moved from my from moved from Hawaii all the way to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because he loves Alabama. No, there was some money involved. Let's cut the crap. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, and I'm pretty sure there were other coach, other head coaches in college college football, all feel some type of way about this NLI. They do. And if I'm a top five recruit, I will be very weary and paying a lot close attention to how Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney talks about college kids making money, making money off of themselves. Because now you have that ability to make your money off yourself. You don't need those big schools. You don't need Alabama. Over the years, we're seeing a renaissance. We're seeing, you know, Alabama's not the end-all be-all. Alabama's still a damn good school. you still got the best damn pro- uh, you know, prospects in college football. The SEC is just a juggernaut. But we're seeing now, you know, Division II schools like Carson Wentz was the number two overall pick back in 2017. And his successor, Trey Lance, went number three of, uh, last year in the NFL draft at North Dakota State. We're seeing kids... You know, getting drafted out of Division II schools. We're seeing kids getting drafted out of HBCUs, non-power fives. Heck, Cincinnati, you know, they put Alec Pierce in the league. They put Kobe Bryant. Sauce Gardner was a top 10 pick. You know, Desmond Ritter with Atlanta. You don't need a power five playoff team like Alabama or like a Georgia or LSU or Oklahoma or Texas anymore. There are plenty of other outlets in which you can then prove yourself to be many to then be in the league. But if I'm a college recruit, not a college recruit, but if I'm a college player looking at my options and Clemson and Alabama, they give me an offer. But I see the way that guys like Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are talking about about these kids just making money off their own names. I will be very cautious about playing with them. Period, point blank. Well, man. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so, I don't have two hours into me. So, I'm just going to make this about like an hour-ish. So, until next, you've been listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture, on 98.5 WJYN Uptown Radio, WJYN and on UptownRadioPhilly.org. You're listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture, every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Once again, this is Chris Thomas. I'm going to do my best in regards to trying to give you the best content that I could possibly can you know at the time that at the with the free time that I have with the limited free time that I have now because of my schedule change 
but nothing has changed about nothing has changed about this. We love sports, we're for the cultures, and in regards to everybody else, in regards to me and my co and my co-host, we are pro player. Until next time, we will see you next time.